grace and peace be multiplied to each of you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Uh, if you are addicted, or I'm not addicted, allergic. <laughs> I promise you I'm in allergic. If you're allergic to pollen like me, uh, then this was a rare weekend for you. Um, so at any point, if I sound like a Muppet baby, blame the White Oaks. Uh, and Willis, is he in here? No, thank you very much. He brought me tea and water, man. I feel loved. Um, I used to love uh, going to Whole Foods and preparing sermons and working on things at Whole Foods. I think it's kind of sort of back to normal. This is pre-COVID, though, because uh, I think throughout all that, they shut all that down. But um, I used to go there, and uh, I like to people watch. It inspires my thinking. It's also creepish, so I don't talk about it often. <laughs> but uh, I would go there, and I would get French toast and bacon every time I go there. Bacon was hit or miss sometimes because it's not as crispy sometimes. I think they rush it. It made me mad. But whenever I would purchase it and I'd get to the checkout counter, I'd be bombarded with a line of things looking to disciple me. A bunch of different how-tos for a bunch of different aspects of the human life, whether it be parenting, whether it be exercise, eating, dietary things, um, even spirituality magazines lined the checkout counter teaching me how I ought to think and how I ought to live. Um, and I think in this world, no matter what, there are some things that are vying for our attention to disciple us. And that's important for us to know because there is no neutral as we live this life. You are being discipled. The question is by whom? And so there are many things that, in our desire to grow in different stages of our lives, whether it be singleness, married, health, uh, spirituality, we would like to grow and we want to know the different steps to take in order to grow. And there those things are waiting to teach you on how to do that. And then maybe in 10 years you look up and you can be either someone who sees the world as that which is held in the hand of God or that which is held in your own hands your control. And then you have Christians, genuine Christians, who want to grow in godliness without knowing to watch out for those in the world looking to disciple them. And maybe in answering the questions of how do I grow in godliness, they may be accepting things from the world and becoming a disciple of the world. My wife and I, we used to do this thing called apartment life, and we met a lot of incredible people. Um, it was a ministry where we uh, do, did events, we built relationships, uh, shared a gospel, um, and, and through that we met incredible people, had incredible conversations, and people would always want to go straight at the heart and deep conversations when they found out I was a pastor, and I love that, uh, but, but you know, some days it's like, I just want to play spades real quick, I don't know, I just, but it's fine, one woman came up to me one time and said, hey, your wife told me that you're a pastor, and I'm a Christian, and I've just, I don't go to church often, but I've been, I've been trying to grow, and, and I've been trying to real, figure out what it means for me to grow in my faith. And I've been reading this book, and I'd love for you to read it. And I said, well, if you're fine with, if you're done with the book and you're fine with me borrowing it, you can go upstairs and get it, and I'll, I'll read it, start reading it tonight, uh, and try to give it back to you um, after I'm done. She said, okay. 
So the book was uh, this book called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. And uh, those are pictures from us uh, at the apartment community. Uh, we did communities, uh, events and things like that. So it was a fun time. Volleyball was the hit. Um, I caught pneumonia being in the pool for eight hours. It's, it's not a joke. Um, Neil, Neil Donald Walsh is the author. <clears throat> and so the context of this book is Neil Donald Walsh in this, in this fit of rage and this fit of anger and confusion that is at this point in his life is crying out to this God he has claimed he doesn't believe in, but he's crying out to them and he's saying, asking all these questions and he's getting angry. And as he's yelling out these questions, he claims that he's overtaken by this power and then God begins writing through him. So he picks up a pen and he writes down the answers God gives him and that's the book, Conversations with God. And he has a series of these books. And so I want to read an excerpt from that. This is Neil speaking, and he's talking to God, and he says, So let's enter dialogue with a question I have been asking for a very long time. How does God talk, and to whom? When I ask this question, here's the answer I received. And this is God speaking. I talk to everyone, all the time. The question is not to whom do I talk, but who listens? Neil says, intrigued, I asked God to expand on this subject. Here's what God said. And God says, first, let's exchange the word talk with the word communicate. It's a much better word and much fuller, more accurate one. When we try to speak to each other, me to you, you to me, we are immediately constricted by the unbelievable limitation of words. So for this reason, I do not communicate by words alone. In fact, rarely do I do so. My most common form of communication is through feeling. Feeling is the language of the soul. If you want to know what's true for you about something, look to how you're feeling about it. Feelings are sometimes difficult to discover and often even more difficult to acknowledge, yet hidden in your deepest feelings <clears throat> is your highest truth. Now, I don't know if any of you caught that, but let me tell you, the conversation I had with this woman when I, we invited her over for dinner uh, was an uncomfortable one. But I assure you, it was a loving one. And the conversation started with me saying, hey, look, I don't know what type of book this is, but its aim is not to lead you to Christ. By the time you're done this book, you will probably believe that you yourself are God in some way. Now, why is this significant? Because we just finished reversing through Peter's first letter, and it's an encouragement, a reminder of the church to remember who they are and remember what's been afforded to them in the face of persecution. This terrible time in life where you want to give up and you want to doubt everything that's happening. But now the context of this letter is fighting against some lies, false teaching. Some people rising up saying, hey, look, you know that final judgment thing where God is going to come and be the perfect judge? Ah, forget all of that. 
As a matter of fact, it's been, I don't know, how long has it been since they said he was coming back? Do we really, I mean, you know, is that really going to happen? And so this is sort of Peter's swan song and what he does with the last opportunity he has to this church is to tell them to remember. Remember what's true, especially in the wake of your desire to grow in godliness. What are they to remember? In this pursuit of growth, every aspect that is necessary for your growth in godliness has been afforded to you supernaturally. He says, pertaining to life and godliness. And it comes through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So those are the three I'm going to kind of walk through in this passage. The ability for good, uh, godliness has been provided to you. And our desire to obey him is proof that that has been uh, uh, provided to you. And you must take that wisdom with you in every single circumstance. There won't be a time where you don't need to remember that. So let's go to number one. We have absolutely everything we need. In my opening, I open with the same opening as Peter. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That which he's granted to us is precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature. Peter states something that should reverberate through every aspect of our faith. (laughs) When it comes down to those little moments where it's like, I would like to get good at this. I would like to grow in this. I'd like to get better at this. Guess what? You've been afforded everything necessary for growth through the knowledge of him who has called you to his own glory and excellence. That's important to remember because I I don't know about you, there are moments where the Bible can seem a little boring. I remember going through seminary 10 years ago, and God, that was 10 years ago. (laughs) Matt, you're old. (laughs) And uh, your Bible can become a textbook. And then you are tempted to think in order to rest, you need to do away with it and find something else. And that's not just exclusive to seminarians. That can be exclusive to people who are diligent in Bible study, who are active in their 3Ds, active in community. It's like, look, I'm tired now, and let me go elsewhere to seek out knowledge and seek out wisdom. But his divine powers granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him. Learn of Jesus, you learn of obedience, and you grow in obedience. Uh, I don't know when, but maybe 10 years ago or something like that, there was an Apple commercial. Um, if you're unfamiliar with what Apple is, it's that inferior phone to the Android. And the commercial was ingenious because it was like when apps, apps were like very much taking over our lives and it brought up that commercial where it's like, they have, we have an app for that. If you're thinking about this, we have an app for that. If you would like to do this, we have an app for that. How much more should that be what dictates our lives as believers when it comes to the scriptures 
when we get tempted to go away from what the scriptures are teaching us, to go elsewhere, to seek out information, knowledge, and wisdom in order for us to grow. Think about every aspect of our lives that we see. Think about all the questions that are surrounding people right now regarding identity, ontology, just what it means to be a human, a man, a woman, and the struggles that people are dealing with. And the people standing right there are ready to disciple them. And it's not just that we, we oppose those things because it's like, oh, that's not coming from us and we're against them. It leads to destruction. What Peter says is that what we've been afforded is everything pertaining to life and godliness, that abundant life that Jesus talks about, that flourishing, that goodness, that joy that we reflect on when we sing about. We have wisdom about it. We have wisdom of it. And that wisdom can be distributed. What Apple was trying to say is that, hey, when you're tempted to go away from our phone to deal with whatever problem this is, don't do it. We have an app for it. Stay with us. When you have a question here, don't go away. We've got an app for it prepared for you. Stay with us. That's what the scriptures is pulling us to. That's what Peter is pulling us to. Be reminded of this. Who am I? Why am I? I'm depressed. I have anxiety. I don't have what I want. How do I get fulfilled? I'm a failure. I've been failed. Someone has hurt me. I've hurt others. There are passages for that. Don't go away. I'm going to leave that up for you to take down. Uh, And if you don't get a chance to, just come see me afterwards and I can send it to you. There's an app for that. I feel guilty. I feel shame. I feel hopeless. I feel apathetic. There's a lot I don't care about. There's verses for that. There are passages for that. We think about our desire to go away from the scriptures. We are susceptible to the tutelage of the world. Even in a desire to grow in godliness, there are people who are lined up ready to speak your speak so they can lead you elsewhere. We must look at all that we seek to learn through the lens of the scriptures. That's not to say, hey, If you own a book other than the Bible, you're doing something wrong. That is not the case. But your Bible should most certainly be a lens through which you look at everything else. It guards you. It protects you. Small point here, but a significant one. As Paul says that... We has granted to us his, very, uh, his precious and very great promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature. A lot of the temptations to move away from Scripture is a result of some self-centeredness that we probably don't even categorize as self-centeredness. But even sometimes trials and suffering can make us self-centered. How do I get safe? How do I get out of here? How do I get more comfortable? And, and then we become blinded by the fact that our lives actually aren't about us. 
but it's meant for God's glory. So even as we seek to grow out of this, we're left with eyes that are so inward. We don't realize that we've been invited to partake in this divine nature. When is the last time you've been invited to something that was about you? It's a reminder even, I need myself. The Lord in his good, gracious, loving kindness reminded my wife and I when we were so distraught over the fact that we couldn't have children and what we were most upset about was that we couldn't get what we wanted. And in his love, he reoriented our lives before children, finding joy in how our lives could be living sacrifices to him. Go through that list when you get a chance. In genuine study, go through that list. It's the mark of a believer is the thirst for having knowledge of Christ. That's the mark of a believer. But it's also marked by the desire to obey him and live in a life of obedience. Peter continues on and says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Let me pause real quick. So he goes through this imperative, uh, uh, this indicative, sorry, of what's true. He says, hey, You've been granted all things pertaining to life and godliness. And then he continues and says, for that reason, live in obedience. This is extremely different from ways that we're probably tempted to live as Christians. This is extremely different from the rest of the world and every religion that will be offered to anybody through the world. That says, hey, in order to obtain something supernatural, this is what you must do with your hands. And Peter says that through God's grace. You've received everything you absolutely need through Christ already. It's that knowledge that sends us out in a life of obedience. You can't earn it. You'd never be able to earn it. The idolater will look at the glorious excellencies of the Lord, and they'll look at the vast beauty of the supernatural, and they say, man, how do I get that? I want to get that. And then they'll start doing a bunch of stuff in order to get close to what that is. But the one who's been captured by the love of Christ, gazing at his beauty, recognizing his magnificence, his eternality, and then looks at themselves as this helpless, sinful, finite being. You can only respond with the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 8 that looks at the cosmos and the planets and the stars and the the natural wonders of the world and then is forced to look at themselves and say, my God, what is man that you remember me? I can't understand how I measure up to the beauties that I'm recognizing, yet you are mindful of me. What what, what, What are we? Because you remember me, I want to live for you. And it's good news that he is mindful of us and that he remembers us through Christ's sacrifice. Because then when you have the heart to live for him in obedience, you're going to fail. But he's cleansed you of that. He's cleansed you. 
You're going to want to live in obedience. And over time, that obedience is going to look more and more mature. You're going to look more and more like Christ. But on this side of glory, you're still going to be sinful. But your identity as a sinner has been transformed forever. Gone. You are daughter, son. And Peter highlights that, hey, you should grow in these things, and obviously we can, we, we can spend some time and track through all of these things, what it means for, uh, to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Matt just didn't give me the three hours I asked for. But in essence, what you want to do is you want to model your life in a life of love, biblical love, Christ-centered love. You want your faith of what's true with your heart to be modeled and recognized with your hands, the way that you live out. And Peter is saying, if you don't want to do that, then you're blind by the whole purpose of your salvation in the first place. Saved for good works as Christ's workmanship. Paul calls it in his letter to Timothy, the common and the special dishes. And the special dishes are cleaned for special purposes to be used by the homeowner. And if you don't want your life to resemble one that has been cleaned, you've forgotten that you were cleaned in order to be used in the first place. The more unkind way of saying that is that if you don't have a thirst to live a life honoring the Lord, I have a question on whether or not you actually know him. And you should examine yourself. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. Man, isn't that something we seek out? They keep you from being unfruitful in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, isn't that something we seek out? We think about community, we think about 3D, we think about engaging neighbors. Tell me that it's a common thing when you think about sharing the gospel with someone to sit in a pool of anxiety first. What do I say? When do I say it? How do I say it? I don't know what I should say. Grow in the knowledge of the Lord. That's a, that's a lifestyle thing. I don't mean flip, it open, flip open a page and then you're going to all of a sudden be a, the greatest orator in the world. No. Grow in the knowledge of the Lord, because then you'll know what to say, but then you'll also know that his grace is sufficient in your weakness and failure, so you'll have boldness to say it anyway. You'll have boldness to do it anyway. You won't think that your ability to convert someone is what's going to make him love you, because you grow in the knowledge of the Lord. You grow in the knowledge of his grace. Supplementing your faith with these things is more than uh, moralism. Um, it's not a desire to just do good things, and, and that's very easy to do. It's very easy to, to come to church, and, and maybe you, you kind of grew up in a, for lack of a better word, conservative atmosphere. You have conservative values, and so therefore you want to do good things. Um, but it's very possible you could still not know the Lord. This is more than secular humanism. It's a desire to illustrate the fact that you are a new creation, that you've been transformed. 
And you can do this with boldness and courage without thinking that people will think you're better than them because you didn't earn it in the first place. It's been given to you, granted to you. You've been invited and you're living in such a way that you've accepted that invitation, but then you're also extending it out to others, knowing it's been made to others to trust the Lord. It's not to get caught up in the works of it, but it's important. It's essentially, it's saying to, hey, prove that you're in the faith. The catch is that those who are in the faith have no problem showing it with their lives. They won't do it perfectly, but they have no problem. Examine yourselves. I think it was Martin Luther, I can't remember what he said. Morality may keep you out of jail, but it's only the blood of Jesus that keeps you out of hell. We're not in the the doing business. We're in the telling business. Christianity is news. And we tell that news and our lives validate what we've told. Our lives affirm what we tell the world to be true about the Savior of the world coming to rescue dead men and women. Here, look at me. I love running into old high school classmates. They know for a fact that that Brandon's dead. He's gone. And I find joy in telling them about the one who's alive today is not alive because of anything that I've done, but the grace of Jesus Christ. We'll walk through the rest of our lives fighting against the enemy's desire to lead us away from a path of truth and righteousness. Peter is fighting that in this letter. And it won't come in the form of an evil person looking, saying, hey, look, don't do that Jesus stuff. Come over here. No, it'll come in the form of everything you find attractive, everything that you ever wanted. Scripture says an angel of light is how angels of darkness uh, disguise themselves. Coming in the form of things like following your feelings and your heart. Man, there are a lot of people who have experienced a lot of pain and suffering who have caused pain and suffering from following their feelings. It's not a good thing. We know it's not a good thing. If you follow your feelings in traffic, it's called road rage. Point three, we must take this knowledge with us in every circumstance. This is the need to be reminded and guarded. This gospel that we preach, this gospel that we've received, it permeates every aspect of our lives. But so does the temptation to abandon it. It's all around us. The Christian is called a sojourner, a foreigner in this world, where our kingdom and our world is awaiting us with our king. And we are left here as infiltrators, divine infiltrators, snatching people out of the darkness from every corner. And so we must be guarded. We must be guarded in that. Because there is temptation and short-sightedness that lurks behind every trial, every doubt, every tragedy, every presentation of newfound wisdom. There's a temptation that lurks around there. 
Peter says, look, I'm, I'm going I'm to die soon, okay? So until that happens, and, and, and I know it, I, you guys might already know this too, he says, but in the meantime, I'm going to keep bringing this up to you so that when I'm gone, you're established in what is true and you'll remember that you have been granted all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called you to his own glory and excellence. I'm positive that those who were not a part of the body probably heard Peter's words and said, look, man, I don't like this stuff. I'm out. I'm going to go find somebody who's going to tell me, you know, more of what, what I'd like to hear. Um, that's not who Peter was talking to. He was talking to the ones who are thirsting for this, who are still susceptible to the temptation, but they're thirsting for godliness. They're thirsting to resemble their king. Be guarded. Fight with knowledge. The false teachers in that age aren't very different from those in this age and what they're pointing to. They're giving wisdom and providing insight for different stages of life just to take you away from that narrow path that we're told to walk on. That's been granted to us to be able to walk on. And so all the different stages of our lives, whether it be in adolescence or singleness, marriage, work, ministry, teaching, if you're hurting, if you're healing, if you're learning, whatever it is, be reminded that everything pertaining to life and godliness has been granted to you through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's yours already. Grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Guard those paths with a deep Desire to grow in that knowledge. If you're looking at your life right now and you're like, man, I haven't been supplementing my faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and I don't have any brotherly affection. I'm actually living and I'm serving, but I'm inwardly, I'm actually complaining a lot. Examine yourself and be reminded. There isn't a circumstance in this life where you will not need to be reminded of this. The scriptures are sufficient to grow godly men and women to the stature of Christ where their uh, faith is in line with their, uh, I'm sorry, their calling is in line with their lives and their lives mirror the calling made on them. So my question is, are you living with a desire to grow in that knowledge? Because you've been granted everything that's necessary in order to do so. Are you living with a desire to resemble the Lord more and more? Or do you feel this weight on you that says, well, look, I know that there's something about me that's not right. I need to go out and do some stuff to fix that. It won't be done there. The transformation you seek won't be done with your hands. It's already been done, and you become familiar with it with growing in the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. For the one who has already put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you grow in every form of godliness by continuing to learn more and more about Jesus Christ. What does your time of Bible study look like? Does it exist? Does it in involve any depth to it? Are there just devotions, or is it study? And I mean study. Do you reject people pointing you to Scripture? When you have newfound wisdom or newfound understandings and people are asking you, all right, that's great, let's look to the Scriptures. Is that an annoyance? 
When's the last time you've repented of something? That's, I think that's a practice we should all be in. My wife would agree. Take your books today, your movies, your songs, your TV shows, and put them under the lens of Scripture. Whatever follows after that is conviction from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit. But I think that we should live that way where we want our lives to be under the lens of Scripture. Maybe you might even come to find out that there are some movies, shows, books you probably shouldn't be enjoying as much. But that's the Lord's conviction. And that's the guidance we should have in this life. Be eager to live out the calling made on our lives. Sit with the Lord and let him examine you. The scriptures can do that, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to discern the intentions. Let it do that, that the dead parts of us will be torn off. And as we grow more and more to the image of Christ, we rejoice in his name all the more. Let me pray for us. Lord, there's so much in this world that would have us to think that we are lacking in some way. That those of whom you have called to your own glory and excellence still have some things missing and they can only get it from the world. Father, may it never be so. That though we may not be mindful of it today, I pray that we would know that we have absolutely everything we need and that we would be diligent in seeking that knowledge through you, our growth in understanding who you are. Thank you that in your grace you have provided to us wisdom through the scriptures that we would grow to resemble you. Guard these here right now from the wisdom of the world, seeking to snatch them away from life and godliness. That our lives will be dedicated to you, to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What Peter does with his last letter is to urge the church to remember. And that is what we do absolutely every single week, is to remember. Remember that we have been invited to partake in a divine nature, not a physical one, because our flesh could never partake in such a nature, but we've been granted that invitation through the flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ being broken on our behalf, his blood spilled. We don't go out and do things to earn his favor. We come back every Sunday remembering that he did all things necessary, that his favor is ours forever. And then that sends us into a life of obedience. Guilt and shame no longer have a home with the son and daughter of the Most High God. It's been cleansed forever. Be reminded as you take communion together, let's take and eat together.